Hello Hive Nation and welcome back to another episode of the Hive Nation podcast. This is where we bring you the knowledge from leading experts in coaching, mentorship, leadership, and both personal and professional development. Today we are going to be talking specifically around human resources and the onboarding process in specific. Uh, today we have Mr. Grant Duchesne. Grant is a wealth of knowledge and experience in the HR uh, landscape. Uh, Grant is nationally and internationally recognized human resources expert and is currently a partner and senior consultant at Apex Performance Consultants here in Saskatoon. Grant has worked with several large global organizations in the past and specifically in areas of operations and human resources. Um, Grant has been in a senior management role for over 20 years, uh, developing teams and his experience in both operations and HR has given him unique perspective on the integral role of HR within organizations. And Grant will talk about that today as a whole within, this is going to be part one, I'll put it to you guys that way. Uh, this this it has many, many uh layers to it and so today we are just going to be getting into the onboarding session of it and we'll explain later on as, as to what we mean by there but um, Grant has worked uh, with external agencies to produce Aboriginal training models and frameworks in 2009 he received the Premier's Award for his contribution so congratulations for you to on that Grant uh, towards collaborative training in the Northwest Territories Grant holds a Bachelor of Science and an MBA in Leadership he is a uh, DISC certified and trained as a black belt in Six Sigma. Uh, so welcome to the podcast, Grant. Thanks for thanks for thanks for having me, guys. Great to have you, Grant. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you very much. Um, the very first question that I have for you is specifically around onboarding and how onboarding and corporate culture go hand in hand. Absolutely. So when you think about onboarding, I think about it in terms of an employee's experience. And when you relate it to company culture, what you would like is that employee to experience the culture the way that it's intended and not from their own perspective of what they perceive to be the culture and values. So it's extremely important that those are directly linked during the onboarding process. For sure. So if you could expand on that as to where the onboarding starts and, and stops, if you want to call it that, Absolutely. or if the onboarding ever stops. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, uh, it, it does have, have a timeline. I usually recommend to think about onboarding as starting right after recruitment, right after that letter of offer is signed. You should be thinking of the onboarding process right away. So it starts there. So that's even before they start day one in, in your office or in, in the place that they're employed. And it continues along from day one to day two. For most uh, organizations, I recommend that a bulk of your onboarding should be done within 90 days. You want them to be productive and up to speed within 90 days. Um, there were studies that I saw years ago that said most employees, new employees don't reach their product uh, productivity levels until uh, six months to up to a year. And what we want to do is shrink that to 90, 90 days. However, once the bulk of it is done, it's still an ongoing process, I would say up to six or nine months. There's always things that they need to 
learn as part of your company, as part of their job. It just isn't a priority at that moment because people can only learn so much. But they will be able to learn those at a future point in time. And that way they don't suffer from information overload. So is there a 90, 120, 150 uh, breakdown as to where they would you know, be check, a check-in, if you want to call it there, that? There can be. I always <laughs> recommend there be a, a, a 15, 30, 60, and 90-day and check-ins. And after that, I think it just depends on the type of work and the type of organization. What kind of resources do you have available to have those 120, 150, or 160-day check-ins? Excellent. Yeah. But I think the onboarding leads to that performance piece where you should have ongoing check-ins with all your employees. And, and so it just dovetails into those natural check-ins. We had a great conversation before we, we came on air, uh, and maybe we could just circle back to that, Grant. We talked about, uh, about the onboarding and the small to medium-sized businesses and as to where you see a senior management position. So say, uh, well, we'll use a CEO in this, in this case. Uh, at what stage does a CEO get involved in the onboarding process? Mm -hmm. I think the CEO or senior person uh, could be a GM, could be an executive director, it could be the actual business owner. They need to be involved early. They, they set the context for that employee experience. They talk about the culture, they talk about the values, they talk about the direction of the company. I think it's really important and says a lot about a company when you have that first contact uh, from day one, if, if possible. It, it actually makes that employee feel like, wow, I really joined an amazing company where the actual owner will actually talk to me about what this company is about. And it doesn't have to be a long, you know, 30 minute intro, it can be a five, 10 minute introduction. Mm -hmm. That's all it, that's all it takes, but makes a world of difference. Cause onboarding is, is so key. You don't, you don't get the second opportunity to have a redo. I, I equate it, the analogy I use is kids who start school for the first day. <laughs> if they have a bad experience, school could look awful for a long period of time. Yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So it's really hard for companies to recover. You need to get it right the first time that's a really good analogy yeah. Like that. yeah and it's something jason and me talk about all the time with having that corporate culture uh not just in that onboarding phase but like you said you know afterwards and moving on mm -hmm. if you treat the janitor the same way you do the ceo and vice versa that culture that gets created then is so powerful because everybody feels welcome and they want to go to work and they want to be part of the team and they want to support that level on the mm -hmm. wall absolutely and and that way you're not creating microcultures yeah. within the company, which can cause breakdowns, it can create toxic environments, and create chaos and confusion. Can you expand on microculture? Sure, it's where actually there's small cultures, subcultures that are existent within a certain culture. So uh, in absence of context of, of culture, people create their own, and they'll do that relative to their values. And what they value may not be necessary be necessarily what the organization values. So suddenly you have a subculture or a value that exists that is outside what your intended was, their intention was for the for the company. Interesting. So uh, in that back to that microculture type of atmosphere then mm -hmm. how, 
where where does can you change microculture first of all and and you know where does microculture really this does that usually start from the top down and you know what i mean it it does culture is top down driven they're the ones setting the expectations they're the ones who are walking the walking the talk um i would say that microculture is almost another topic in itself mm. and how you can eradicate it, how you can bring it uh, uh, together. Um, it's definitely doable, but it's it's another conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Episode three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Um, that, that would probably be a topic that, you know, doesn't get brought up enough. Yeah. And uh, it maybe gets set aside may I say because people aren't willing to admit that that happens and that and that's why sometimes onboarding is undervalued because it provides that uh, continuity and that uniformity around culture so that when a person's starting they're fully immersed they fully un understand it and they feel fully connected and to me that's one of the outcomes of a robust onboarding process yeah I, I definitely can see where onboarding would eliminate some of those, you know, uh, those seeds underlined. from starting. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 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 I, I like that. That's really, really good. Um, another question I got for you around that onboarding thing or with, you know, attracting people mm -hmm. is that, you know, how does a good onboarding process attract top talent into a small to medium sized business? We'll say, hey, you know, as a matter of fact, that, that could go all the way to a large uh, business as well. Yeah, I think there's definitely, not surprising in HR, everything is connected. It's like a web. You pull on one one area and the web shifts shape. There's always a ripple effect. So when you're talking about attracting talent, it really is about creating an employee brand that's exciting. So who does that best? The employees that work for you. They're, they are your best ambassadors. So a person who has a really great onboarding experience will talk to their friends and their friends will talk to their friends and that's how you build that reputation that's how you attract top talent because people will hear about that and they go wow that's that's a company that i want to work for how do i how do i get signed up so they those spokespersons create your employee brand which in turn attracts talent because you can put ads out but i think most people are, are savvy enough to say well just because you're Saying that on paper doesn't mean it's, it's real inside your organization. Right. So having somebody who's working there says, yes, this is, this is the values we live. This is the culture. This is the place you want to be at. They're the ones who become your best ambassadors. This went through my head right when you said that would be, so if, if I were a, a prospect into a company today and you were, you were my... Uh, my owner or CEO or even my HR manager, mm -hmm. uh, I can see it being very uh, useful for you to take me around. And Greg is your top employee, and you, and you know you kind of you know you uh, you prepped Greg by saying, "Hey, we have this person coming through. Would you mind stopping and, and stopping in and talking? Absolutely. You know, briefly about yeah. your experience within yeah. company ABC. Yes, and uh, you know." Just so it's not an ad, right? It's yeah. not a, a, yeah. a piece of paper that yeah. anybody can just make yeah. up. Now this is coming from your your your, your number one employee, and yeah. he's your number one ambassador, like mm. you said, right? Well, and and nowadays, people know when you start a new job. People are on their own social media platforms. Sure. 
they let friends and family know, so everyone knows. What they don't know is that experience until they actually start to go through it. And because some of the first questions I usually ask someone who started a new job, so how do you like it there? How do you finding things? And that's, to me, the litmus test and the standard that people should go with whenever they hear um, a new employee talking about the place that they work. It should be exciting. It should reflect who they, who they are and not a scenario where, yeah, I started there. They said they were a fun company, but all I'm doing is filling in forms. I got a computer that doesn't work. I don't have a login. Yeah, it doesn't create the excitement that, that yeah. you could. Yeah, and I think we've all worked at a place like that where <laughs> where you get to the first day and you don't even, the guy doesn't even know you're logging for your laptop. Yeah. And it's not even charged. You know, <laughs> or, or, you, or you don't have a key fob and you can't even get in. Or yeah. you can't even get in. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, wait. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or I wasn't sure where to park and you parked in the owner's spot. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, right. Really hey, that's messy. called asserting dominance. <laughs> yeah. That's right. For your aspirations. Yeah, yeah, coming for your job. <laughs> So how do you take that that idea of that advocation and creating that fun atmosphere, or not even a fun, that real atmosphere in your onboarding process? How do you take the steps to make sure the company's presenting properly to the employee that they're looking for? Well, you do that through purpose and, and intention. You don't let it happen organically. Um, as Jason and I were talking prior to the podcast, when things happen organically, you, you rarely achieve the results that you want. And, and in fact, my experience is you'll be lucky one in 1,000 will be able to, to make, it, make it work. There always seems to be breakdowns or things that, that happen. So back to your question, things that you should be doing is having a supervisor contact and having a conversation, having a coffee with a person before they start, a few days before they start. Um, make that me. connection. Yeah, make that connection. It doesn't have to be in the office. It could be elsewhere. But mm -hmm. their relationship with their supervisor is one of the most important relationships. Mm -hmm. So you should start early. Um, when they first start, you should be introducing them to what the company does and the, and the culture, not signing forms, not being put in a side office and say, we'll get back to you later. Um, introduce them to the team. Have the team have coffee with them. I find... So many times a person feels so isolated when they start. They don't know anybody. They have their first coffee by themselves. Their lunch is in the corner or at their desk. And to me, those are missed opportunities for the team to enroll them into what they're about. Yeah. So we would, uh, in previous places I worked at, we would assign people to be there for lunch. Well, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah, be there for lunch. Be there for their first coffee. You know, walk them around. At, it's great that we do an orientation to show them, but quite often people think, well, an orientation, that should be enough. Knowing where a washroom is, knowing where your office supplies, yes, important, um, but not in a way that connects you to the organization. You just have a layout of the land. Yeah. And who do you go to and who do you talk to? Well, you know, Greg's an expert in this area. Let me introduce you to Greg. Yeah. You know, and... You know, and Greg can have that conversation. It can be inviting and say, yeah, whenever you have a question. Because, I mean, we've all been there in our first job. We're hesitant to know who to talk to. We're hesitant to know who to ask. We're embarrassed to ask. Yeah. So we just sit there, and it's an uncomfortable feeling. And to me, you want to make it the most comfortable experience. 
you know, and I think the people watching or listening to this will have uh, very similar experiences. And the one that, that you that just came to my mind when you were saying that is that they put you in the room, shut the lights off, put the power plant uh, or the, the video on yeah. and just leave you in the room by yourself. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, yeah, okay, yeah. now what? Like I'm yeah. supposed to watch this video and then what? I'm supposed to be a knowledge like yeah. uh, expert on this company and what I'm supposed to do here. Exactly. Like, and so yeah. when it's over, now what am I supposed to do? Am I yeah. supposed to turn the light back on? Yeah. Like, what, like seriously, like, you know, and, and I've been, I literally have done one of those yeah. and like, Okay, the video's over. Now yeah. what? Now like, what? Exactly. And like, there's no yeah. then five or six or yeah. ten minutes go by, and then something. Oh, a video's done. Okay, yeah, how are you doing? Yeah. Uh, good, I guess. I don't know. Like, <laughs> could yeah. use the popcorn. <laughs> yes. Yeah, you know, yeah, it wasn't even buttered. <laughs> so, so one of the things you can do is send out an itinerary. Uh, what their first two weeks is going to look like, who they're going to be introduced like to, that. who they're going to be talked to, and you can do that before they start in day one. Set some expectations, create some excitement, uh, send them some companies away. The other thing is to be mindful of after they do start, check in to see if the onboarding process is meeting their needs. Is it meeting their expectations? We often think that onboarding is a one-way communication, but it's not. It's actually two-way. It's a wonderful opportunity to see how it's going for that individual. Um, and I think that's important because individuals vary. Mm -hmm relative to how much information they need, relative to their um, ability to create personal connections with people. So I think it's important to, to check in and ask, hey, how's, how's, it, how's it going? We also talked about you know forms and, and filling out forms, and, and Grant had a great idea about having the forms filled out for the person. Instead of your new employee coming there and then wasting an hour filling out forms, because some of those forms are, are daunting, let's face it, you know, have the majority of it filled out for them as per their information. Yeah. And, uh, you know, there, there's obviously going to be some small things that need to be filled in by the, by the employee. But, you know, just to have that, just to have that, take that, that stress maybe off them for that first, you know, half day or hour or two, whatever that time may be, you know, I, I think that's a great idea. Well, it, it sets the tone. If, if during the recruitment process, if you've said, look, we're an exciting place to work at, we have a lot of fun, you, you're going to make new friends, and then your first day is, I spent my time in the office filling in forms, mm -hmm. that there's... Sucks the air right out of the room. There's, yeah, it's, it's you know, ironical that that's occurring. And, yeah. And, and it doesn't feel right. And it's like, did I make the right decision? Is this the, is this the company... They said it was going to be because so far it's not or it feels some like a paramilitary organization where it's very bureaucratic we all have our forms structure and, and structure and, and I was told it wasn't like that so yeah I think it's important that during that recruitment when you talk about your company that they see that from you know day one or even before day one if they can so have you ever done an exit interview where somebody's actually said like when you've asked them, like you know, where did where did it go wrong, or you know, whatever whatever that question was, and, and the person said day one, <laughs> maybe not day one, but shortly after. Yeah, sure. And and mostly because they didn't feel connected. There, you know, I I also the analogy I use for onboarding is you want the employee to to establish roots as quickly as, as and deeply as possible, like a plant. So we all know what happens to a plant when the roots don't establish themselves. The plant dies. Right. And that's the same 
thing that happens, the employee feels separated from the company, doesn't feel part of it. So as soon as that loss occurs, they're looking to reconnect with another company that will meet their needs. And, and so that, and it, they, may, they may think that they meet their needs on paper again, but it may be the same thing, but they don't see that necessarily, right? So, you know, so for our listeners out there, you know, small business to medium business owners out there, uh, you know, kind of take that to heart that, you know, the, the tone that you set on that day one or day zero, let's call it, mm-hmm. you know, kind of, you know, sets the tone for how that person is, how long that person may be there for a lifetime if you do it right. Yes, absolutely. And and it's also important not only for the connection, but from the technical point of view, if you said that they're going to be, let's say, auditing these financials, if you're having them enter data into spreadsheet with no auditing, it's, again, out of flow with what you told them it was going to be. So the technical and the connection has to be there simultaneously and has to be matched. We've had this conversation again with other companies about, uh, you know, having that, if the culture is right, they don't yeah. necessarily need to be the top paid in their in their field. No. You know, it's not about monetization at that. It's about actually being happy and wanting to go to work and doing the work, right? Yeah, That's absolutely. involved. And, 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 and wanting to be part of that team and yeah. wanting to extend that team. Yeah, because I've also run into situations where people love the team they loved the culture, but their job wasn't satisfying because what they were promised and what they're actually doing are so far apart that it's not satisfying for them. And back to your point, if people don't feel they're like a contributor, if they don't feel valued, if they aren't able to do the things that they love, that creates that gap where now I'm gonna look somewhere else because I need that, I need that fill. That's like with the hive. Greg told me that I'd be like top of the heap. I'm washing toilets right now. Yeah. But I mean, everybody has to start somewhere, <laughs> right? But and he said you're doing it really well. He's, he's, yeah. He reinforces how positive yeah. it is. Yeah. And now he's doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to, to build off of, off of what Jason said and, and you, Grant, on setting that tone and continuing that tone, you know, there's a saying I've seen from an employee standpoint whether it's right or wrong, it's okay, well, that's great. You said you're going to do all this stuff, but what have you done for me lately? Is connecting the onboarding tone to the ongoing follow-up and follow-through how onboarding leads to high retention? Mm -hmm. So at at a 60,000-foot view, you should look at your HR processes like this. So you have your employee brand, so your ability to attract talent, ability to attract people, feeds into your recruitment, feeds into your onboarding, then feeds into your performance management and uh, talent management succession planning. So back to, to your point, it onboarding dovetails nicely into managing performance on an ongoing basis so that they're used to constant check-ins. They're clear on what they need to achieve. That's one of the other interesting things I've seen um, for a lot of companies, they, they fail on the onboarding because they haven't set any expectations. They haven't set clear goals. This is what we want to achieve in 30 days, 60 days, 90 days. And people want to know that. They want clarity as to what do you need. And it's also a great mechanism for you to provide feedback when they're not meeting those expectations. Sure. And, and how you can course correct. And so those things that occurred in onboarding just naturally flow into ongoing performance management, which is also 
part of your talent management. Is there a number one for employee branding that you would recommend? Um, I don't know if I know of a number one. I think there's some organizations that do a great job to make an exciting place to work at. Netflix is probably one of them. Um, what do they do Google, They They use their employees as ambassadors to create what a fun and exciting environment mm-hmm. is. Uh, they talk about their culture where you don't... You can take a vacation, unlimited vacation. They don't have vacation limits. You take vacation when you need to. And so they do a lot of things that are different. Um, but you hear about it from other employees, from other, other sources, and, and I think that's what they do, do well. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Here in Saskatoon, I, I haven't seen somebody dominant out there that, that comes out and says, oh, um, everyone talks about them as the place to, to work at. They do a lot of self-promoting, which is great, but I don't see a lot where employee ambassadors are just constantly on the social media, constantly talking to people at parties or you know, other types of events. So would you need some sort of employee referral program if you want to call it that in order to get that type of you know I, I think it just comes from from people who are satisfied at work talk about it okay yeah people talk about their work whether they're dissatisfied or satisfied True. so if you want them to talk about work why wouldn't you want them to talk about being satisfied at work and what a great place so I think that that's sufficient uh, sometimes referral is is um, is as an option but I find that you're having to provide financial incentive because people aren't naturally motivated to talk about how great it is to work there. So you're trying to compensate for that through a monetary incentive. And that would start from day one, just like we talked, and then those, those check-ins that, yeah. that you know, we discussed. Yeah, because imagine you know, before you start, you've talked to your supervisor, you've got a swag bag, you've filled out all your forms, you're gonna tell. You know, people going, wow, I mean, I can't believe it. I got a company t-shirt. I got, you know, pen. I, you know, I already had coffee with my supervisor, mm-hmm. you know, because you meet them during the interview process yeah. most times, but it doesn't really give you a feel for who they are. And now you've had, you know, a lunch or a coffee with them and yeah, you're really excited. So how many levels of, of management would need to be involved in that type of, you know, setup in order to make everybody... Well, I would say it's nice to have the most senior person involved to talk about the company, to talk about the direction, the culture, the values. So that's one. The second layer is your supervisor. Who do you report directly to? And that could be a frontline supervisor, a manager, you know, executive, whatever level it is that you report to, they need to, to be involved. Um, because that's where the, the employee relationship lies. I know that in some companies, HR looks after it. But they're not cultivating that relationship between the supervisor and and, and the employee, nor yep. the relationship between the employee and the team. Gotcha. Which is equally as important. I'll say it is for sure. It is. Yeah. Um, with if you if you if you back that up just a, even a little bit further into how the the upper management, we'll call it, not necessarily the, the CEO, but we can just call it upper management for, for this example. Mm-hmm. Um, if they see it differently as a uh, upper management team, as in like a, 
okay, well, if you can't check in with a company or with an employee today, you know, who can and, and how can we be, do it as a team? Do you see that more as a, as a teamwork thing rather than just a, Grant, that's your job to check in on Greg today because Greg's new. I, I think from an onboarding perspective, the responsibility ultimately lies with the team and, and the supervisor because, again, that's where the bulk of the relationship is. At an executive level, you're wanting to make sure that it's happening. You want to make sure it's occurring and that the feedback that's coming back from employees is what you're expecting. And um, to me, part of a supervisor's role is that you need to manage your people, you need to manage your team. So that should be a natural expectation as part of their performance, ongoing performance, that they're managing the, the new employees, making them feel as part of the group. And the supervisor checking in with the team and making sure that they're doing it. And, um, and sometimes you, you get what I call champions within the team. So those that are better able and want to, to do that. And so they, they carry it out. They sometimes are the mentors. Um, I've seen some onboarding programs where you assign a mentor mm. within your team. So you have someone to go to on a regular basis, someone you're comfortable with. That's a fantastic idea. Yeah. We, we talked about that premise, not on the onboarding uh, area, I guess, but uh, with Marilyn Allhoos from the Airdrie Chamber. Having a mentor in a work setting in any setting that can come with you to an event, that can introduce you. You know, Jason can bring me, hey Greg, meet Grant. And it makes that uncomfortable situation mm -hmm. a lot more comfortable because at least I know one person and now it's a little easier to talk, especially because not everybody's an extrovert. <laughs> a lot of people do not like crowds and having that mentor right from the start, and even if it's not a mentorship program, mm -hmm. just having a manager that's tentative and is there for you, right? Yeah, and, and having a, a, a team member as, as a mentor, they can, over time, it, let's say you work in an office environment and you're part of manufacturing, well, they can take you through the manufacturing and they can say, hey, this is Bob, he supervises the floor, this is what we do, this is how the machines work. Again, part of that process where you don't have to do it within the first three days, it can be done months later when they actually get introduced to the back, mm -hmm. unless it's really relevant to how they do their job. Mm -hmm. But you can get them uh, comfortable with the whole company over, over time, and that's what you want in my mind is somebody who's comfortable with the whole company because that's how you create that connectedness this really isn't to do with onboarding as per se but do you recommend having a mentorship program within companies that you've worked with i i do um even if, even if you're an owner with your first hire you should be positioning yourself as, as a mentor for them there needs to be someone they need to go to and sometimes a manager or their supervisor isn't always available especially in small businesses where we have a lot of tasks, we wear a lot of hats, the availability isn't always there, but you want someone who, who is. Mm -hmm. and you, but you also want someone who wants to do it. I've seen them assign mentorship to people who they weren't cut out to be mentors. Yeah, they, not everybody's cut out to be no, mentors. Uh, that's what I like about, about the Hive. You have people who have signed up because they want a mentor, mm -hmm. they want to become coaches. So you look for those qualities in, in, in people and that's who you assign. Just don't you know, 
spread it out to to people who don't want to be because that creates a bad experience mm. you know or a negative experience and it takes a long time to recover from that and that's why i don't like the term boss right yeah. i'd rather have the term leader anybody can be a boss i can boss you around all day grand yep. it's fantastic yep. right that doesn't achieve anything no <laughs> right so if yeah. you're my if you're my leader and um and my mentor and i can come to you and ask you a quote-unquote stupid question yeah right and you tell me there is no such thing as a stupid question that immediately makes me feel you know more welcome and safe yeah right and now i can feel free to ask you yeah you know what's yeah. a flip yeah. jack winger yeah and it doesn't necessarily have to be a subject ex expert uh, expert i i know with this one company the mentor was actually the receptionist because she knew everything that was going on within that company that's perfect and she had the knowledge and wanted to do it. Yeah. So it was it was perfect. Yeah, that yeah. is that's a perfect setting like that. I, yeah. I really like it doesn't have to be the, the no. guy who's sitting in the corner office. No. You know, it could be that, that yeah. lady who's been there forever, yeah. right? She yeah. knows the ins and outs. Yeah. And so it just depends on the size of your organization. You might have a technical uh, mentor who is very knowledgeable about your aspects of your job. You might have someone who's a mentor in, in the company, just how the company works, mm -hmm. how how, how do things flow and and then of course your your manager so it, it just to me it just really illustrates to me how you have to be intentional mm -hmm. with how you set it up mm -hmm. and how you follow through with onboarding I love that that's great is there kind of a three-point onboarding process that you know before somebody looks elsewhere for it to try to improve what they already have is there kind of those three steps i mean we talked about so many great things is there three things that are must do's when it comes to onboarding yeah i think i think the first one is understanding how do i connect people to the organization so you need to understand that two is you need clarity around job roles and the third thing is setting clear expectations and follow-up um so I've known some people, they started a job and then three months later they were hearing from their supervisor for the first time because probation was starting to end. So they needed to determine whether this person was going to stay or whether they were going to go their separate ways. But that was the first time that they ever had a meeting with them. And huh. instead of, hey, after 15 days did you achieve yeah. achieve this? Mm -hmm. You know, after 30 did you wow. achieve this? And so I think, to me, those are the kind of the key steps. And and as a company, I think it's important to not under resources. Don't be afraid to ask for external help to help you put it together. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes I knew one company that took them two years to get their onboarding <laughs> because they were so busy with other things, and it kept going to the back burner, back burner. Meanwhile, they were going through turnover mm -hmm. of new hires. They were going through a lot of HR issues that could have been avoided even if they had spent the money up front to say, look, we don't have the internal expertise or the time to do this. Let's get someone to do that. Because yes, it's an upfront cost, but it's recoverable. Mm -hmm. You know, you're, you're probably your first turnover that you have due to a bad onboarding experience will probably pay for that. Yeah, it's an investment, not an expenditure. Exactly. Yeah. I always say that uh, either you're busy or productive. Mm -hmm. So are you busy twiddling your thumbs? Yep. Or are you productive twiddling your thumbs? Exactly. 
and right. especially if you're a new hire, you'll you'll find ways to be busy. Sure. But are you working on the right things? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, you could be here, 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 and there, but yeah. are you really getting anything done? Yeah. Probably not. At no. the end of the day, nothing no. ever gets done. Yeah. But you, you're one of these, and yeah, or you, good. or you've done a lot of surfing on your Facebook and <laughs> or that too. <laughs> updated it quite often, yeah, and saw what your friends were doing that day, and amazing, yeah. yeah. Good productive day, <laughs> and and that happens because you don't know what to do. You don't just know what just to do. like the scenario, you get put in the room and you watch the video. Yeah. What now, right? And yeah. it's it's that lead up and that continual follow up, and mm-hmm. from the conversations Grant and I for the listeners have had before, like a lot of it has been around. How do we create that stickiness and create that environment? And to me, that seems to be a lot of the reason. Like that's your why mm-hmm. of what you do. Mm-hmm. You want companies to succeed you want them to have that longevity and that good retention uh is there any other like things uh, around onboarding that are your why that, why you help so many people do it i think i think for me it's it's not only for the company's success but it's for personal success and people that again feel they're at a great place to work it gives them reason and purpose to get up in the morning it, you know creates that excitement and, and to me People living fulfilled lives, it's one important aspect, is that I'm at a job that I really enjoy. And I'm at a place that I enjoy working at, and it doesn't feel like work. I mean, we all have to do things from time to time that we don't want to do, or that are not a lot of fun, or there's unexpected chaos. We can work through those things when we're satisfied most of the time. And I, and I think that's, that's the key. That's very key because way. if you are satisfied within your job, you are going to put up with a little bit more maybe, yeah. Yeah. you know, nonsense if you yeah. want to call it that. And also, to me, when you have those robust processes and they're working well, it takes pressure off the owner to to focus on the things they need to focus on instead of being distracted by this noise, by HR issues mm-hmm. that keep them up at night. And how do I deal with this? And why are things going south? And instead of, wow, I have a great place, now I can focus on expanding my business here, or I can diversify into here, so they can keep their eye on what they need to do, um, which is working on the business instead of in the business. Well, wow, that's some great <laughs> information right yeah. there. That's awesome, yeah. Grant. Uh, and guys like Grant are like on the HR Hive, on the, yep. on the Hive Professional Network. And so, you know, if you want to get that type of advice, Grant, Grant's your guy for that. And that's that's why we, you know, are associated with guys like Grant. Absolutely. Because, you know, I want to be associated with HR as much as I want uh, nails underneath my fingernails. But yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, and, and the thing that, you know, impresses me about the Hive, it's about making businesses stronger. Because if you have a strong, strong business, a lot of things follow that, including better communities, including people wanting to move here, including um, people getting their friends and relatives to, to work. So um, having a strong business is, is important and also gives you a competitive advantage because let's face it, for some businesses, you're all making the same thing or selling the same service. What makes the difference is your people. Mm-hmm. And if you have the right people, it gives you a competitive advantage. And we have to think that our competitors are just not only here in Saskatoon or in Saskatchewan, 
but the rest of Canada and quite frankly the world, we have to start positioning ourselves to be world leaders in what we do. Mm-hmm. So nailed it, hit the nail right on the head on that. Yeah. So uh, Grant, I guess uh, well, our our ask is, would you like to be back? We have another idea around hybrid work models, yes. and of course that's the buzzword nowadays, and everybody is. We talk about it off camera about, you know, we used to call it home office, but uh, we're calling it a hybrid work model now because that apparently is the fancy marketing term for us nowadays. uh, Much more productive. (laughs) Much more productive. And so, you know, we would like to have you back to to talk about the the hybrid work model and and how you see it, you know, going forward and or how it is today, Mm -hmm. what it looks like tomorrow and what the future of it might be. Well, even just connecting it to the nuances of onboarding. How yeah. does that look different for someone who's coming into the office day one versus someone who's starting day one in their home? Yeah, exactly. So great segue for for the second topic of hybrid work models. Perfect. Absolutely. Well, Grant, thanks again for being on the High Nation Podcast. Thanks, guys. Appreciate your time. Grant. Right. High Nation. Nation. We're out.